So I don't know about you, but uh, I always seem to be looking for the next uh, big thing. I know uh, a few years ago when the AirPods came out, you guys remember when this happened? And I, along with every sane human being, made fun of them because it looks like Q-tips coming out of yours, right? Or now that I actually have got, uh, given into it because I was like, you know what, those kind of look kind of cool. Like I, I ended up getting them and now it just looks like I'm wearing these beautiful white earrings. And I enjoy them. I enjoy my AirPod Pros. I was able to get them at a crazy deal. I was like, I got to get them, Christian. I just, I got to get them. And then, I mean, they've been great. I've enjoyed them. But then Apple did it to me, right? This week, I get the AirPod Pros, right? I have, I've had them for a while. And then AirPod Pros 2 come out. And so now I'm like, Daniel, you're an adult. You don't have to get the next thing. You don't have to get the two. But I'm already like, I don't know, but maybe, maybe I do need it. Like maybe, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe if I just add that to my life, maybe that'll make it a little better. Or as I've told you, I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. And any football fan, as you begin the season, you're like, this is the year. This is the year. We're going to be good. We're going to make the Super Bowl. We're going to just bust every record this year. It's going to be great. And then, I don't know, two, three weeks from now, I'm going to be like, you know what, maybe next season, maybe if I had next season, then, then I'll be satisfied, you know, as a Panthers fan. And it's not just me, right? I, maybe, I don't know, maybe it is just me. We all have this sense, right? Like if I can just get this thing, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's tech for you. If you, you just need that next new thing. If I add this, then, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Th- then I'll be satisfied. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's, hey, if I can just get in shape in this way, or if I can get into this program, or if I get this raise, if I can just add this thing to who I am, then I'll have everything together. And you know, religion is really no different. Religion really says, hey, if you add Jesus to your life, then you'll be good to go. If you could just add Jesus, maybe it's, you know, if I can just start going to a church service, well, then I should be accepted by God, right? Or, you know what, maybe if I just, I, I bought into this at times in middle school, I remember very clearly, you know, I would sin and be like, you know, maybe if I just read my Bible, maybe that will offset what I just did. Perhaps that would forgive me. Or, you know, maybe, maybe if I join a community group, right? The pastor keeps talking about that annoyingly, so much so. But hey, maybe if I actually get into it, maybe then I'll be saved. Maybe then I can be a good Christian. That's really what li- religion says. It said, if we add Jesus to our our lives, well, then I guess God will accept me. The, the problem with that is the Bible, that in the scriptures, what we see is that the gospel is really the reverse of what we see in religion. Much as our church was even planted on, that it is in Jesus himself, that that's what the good news is all about, that Jesus died in our place, and that because of his work, the gospel is not about what you can do to get to God, to save yourself. It's about what God did ultimately to get to you. And so this morning, we're going to begin a series that will lead us all the way up to Christmas. We're going to look at different scenes in the book of Luke where we'll really see who this Jesus is, begin to marvel at him just a little more as a church. And this morning, as we begin in Luke chapter 5, we'll see our big idea, that religion is adding Jesus to your life, but the gospel is leaving everything to follow Jesus. So friends, let's pray, and we'll dive into Luke chapter 5, a really famous scene in the Bible together. Father, I thank you for 10 years. Father, that you have been faithful to Catalyst Church. We praise you for your faithfulness, and great is your faithfulness. And Father, your, your faithfulness does not run dry. It does not run out. So we would ask that you would continue to move in amongst us, that you would advance your gospel, that it would not just be for 10 years, but Father, for 10 years more, for even more past that. 
that you would continue to be faithful among us. I pray that, that even today that you would empower me, a sinful man, to preach your gospel clearly, powerfully, in a way to be able to preach that I can't, that you would save sinners, you would help us, the saints, to continue in the faith, to be faithful to the end. Father, I, I, I thank you for Bethel Baptist Church that 10 years ago helped plant our church, that, that commissioned out Jeff Mingy and a number of families, Father, and sent just uh, so abundantly, so generously of finances, of resources, of people. Father, I thank you for their great blessing, for their great uh, commissioning there. I thank you for uh, Pastor Doug Eccles and his leadership in, in helping commission uh, Jeff and those out. I pray that you would empower him as he preaches your gospel, uh, even here this morning. Father, as they kick off now two services and they begin their series in 1 Corinthians, would you empower him? Would you save sinners there in Bethel Baptist? Would you save them here with Catalyst Church? In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. You can turn there. We'll get there in just a, a minute. But the, the book of Luke is all about the upside-down kingdom, that the kingdom of God, the, the, the fact that Jesus, the king, has come and he is bringing his kingdom to bear is upside down. It's the opposite. It's the reverse, really, of what you would imagine, that the religious leaders, the Pharisees of that day, that they would really imagine that Jesus, the king, that he would come in a certain way, that he would look a certain way, that he would act a certain way, that he would say certain things. And Jesus was really the opposite of what you would expect. I mean, he came as a baby. That's how Luke, the, the book of Luke begins, that he, that God himself, the king of the universe, comes as a baby. And here, throughout the rest of the book of Luke, we see that religion is the reverse, really, of the gospel. And we need to see, really, who this Jesus is. Check it out, Luke chapter 5. Verse 1, it's a super famous scene, the calling of Peter as a disciple of Jesus. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the word of God. Now, stop there. So Jesus, he is preaching the gospel. In Luke chapter 4, you see that Jesus' ministry has now begun. He said that he would come and be able to live and show and preach the good news of the gospel. And throughout the book of, uh, throughout chapter 4, he is serving and he is healing multiple people. At the very end of Luke chapter 4, he says, I have come to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The good news, that's what that word gospel means, and the gospel of the kingdom. This announcement, this royal announcement that the king is here and he is standing right before you. He is Jesus and his kingdom is everywhere he goes. It's everywhere that his feet might touch. That's who Jesus is, and he has come to announce that. And so Jesus, he is now preaching, he says, the word of God. The crowd is pressing in around him. And what is the word of God? Friends, it's the gospel. It's the good news of that kingdom. It's that announcement that Jesus has come to die in our place and to the king to rescue his people back to himself. Jesus is centered on the gospel. He's showing, as you see in the very end of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, that how Jesus preached was to show that all of the scriptures are all about Jesus, that everything is all about Jesus, and that ultimately the scriptures from the beginning to the end is pointing to, is fulfilled in, is centered on Jesus himself. Friends, we as a church, we're started. We're planted directly out of that, believing that Jesus is everything. And that we as a people must be centered on the gospel, preaching that the gospel is in fa found in every passage and fulfilled in every passage, but then living out that gospel. And we don't stop. 
It's not that we can be satisfied in just doing that for 10 years. Friends, we must continue to gather around the gospel, continue to preach the gospel, continue to live the gospel. That's why we push community groups, not just because we want to do groups and we think it's cool or whatever, but because this is how we continue to gather around the gospel. Just as Jesus is doing here, he is preaching that this good news is what saves us. And friends, we should take this deathly seriously. Because at the end, or excuse me, at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, what we see is that Jesus says that the churches that stop preaching the gospel, that he will shut their doors. Because a church that doesn't preach the gospel is no church at all. And so we should beg God that he would keep us faithful to the gospel. That if we stop preaching the gospel, that we would repent. And that if we don't, that he would close our doors. Friends, we have been faithful to the gospel for 10 years. Let's not stop. Jesus here, he is preaching the word of God. He is preaching the gospel. And it says that the crowd is pressing in on him. They're everywhere. They're all around him. I don't know if Jesus is like me. Maybe he's a hand talker. He's just, he needs more space. And so he starts looking around. It tells you where he's standing. He's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats as he's looking around. Where can I go? Where can I have more room? And there's two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So he's looking around for room. He sees two boats, and there's fishermen off to the side. They're packing everything up because, as we'll see in just a bit, they were working all night. They actually didn't catch anything, and they're now packing everything up. They're about to go home, probably to go to sleep because, again, they've been working all night. And so Jesus, when he sees these two boats looking for room, where can I get some more room here? Verse 3, he got into one of the boats which was Simon's. This is Simon Peter. You, you've probably heard of Peter before if, you, if you've read some of the Bible. And he asked him, Jesus asked Peter to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Simon Peter, he almost for sure knows Jesus because in Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so here, Peter and Jesus, they have at least a basic relationship. And he said, hey, man, I need some room. Can you push me out 10, 20 feet? I just need a little bit of room so I, people can see me, they can hear me. And Jesus begins to continue to preach the gospel, just using the water as a, a natural microphone. And then, verse 4, when Jesus had finished speaking, finished preaching the word of God, the gospel, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, this is interesting. I don't know if you're like me. I really don't know a whole lot about fishing. Uh, in fact, when I was a little kid, when I would go fishing, I really felt bad like for the worm when I would go fishing. So it was really, was never even a good start when I went fishing. So I'm not the guy, if you have fishing questions, you can go to Kenny, he'll help you out. Maybe he needs to help me out, to be honest. But what I have learned in studying in this passage is that you go to the deep at night to be able to catch the fish, at least here in the sea, in this lake of, the, of Gennesaret, that they would go at night, just like the fishermen had been going all night before to try to catch the fish. It's during the day that they would go in the shallow parts. So Jesus is telling Peter, hey, I know it's in the middle of the day, but like, let's go out into the deep and let's go try to catch the fish. Now we'll see in just a second how Peter responds to this, but Peter is a little reluctant about this. Like he kind of thinks that this is a bad idea. You, you can tell by his response. Because he's like, Jesus, this is a horrible strategy. Like I'm a professional fisherman. And why are you saying, why are you, why are you doing this? Because Jesus is, like, like let's be honest, like Jesus is an itinerant preacher. He's like, man, you're, you're a preacher, man. Like, like you heal people, right? 
And, you know, your dad was a carpenter. I mean, some people have even described Jesus as a handyman, really. And he's telling this professional fisherman, hey, I'd like you to go fishing in this way. This is how Peter responds. Check it out. He says in verse 5, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. He says, Jesus, this is the wrong strategy. I did it in the right way, and we didn't catch anything then. So I promise you, it ain't going to work now. But we'll see here, and you can already see it on the screen, that Peter does end up doing what Jesus asks. Now, at the end of this passage, we already saw it in our big idea. We're going to see that Jesus calls all believers to be his followers, to leave everything behind and follow him. And it's really easy in our culture, and I don't know if it's just me as a guy or maybe it's you, I don't know, but I just feel this bravado of like, well, of course I'll do these big things, these audacious things of following Jesus. Or maybe it's, you know, I think of marriage, right? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us that, that the man should lay down his life for his wife. And so as a dude, when I was dating and now when I'm married, I feel like, you know what? Of course I would lay my life down for you. Like, baby, I'd love you, and I'd, I'd, I'd jump in a bullet, in front of a bullet for you. Which, first of all, you'd have to be very fast to jump in front of a bullet. <laughs> But second of all, it's like, okay, maybe, right? First of all, calm down a little bit. But second of all, like, yeah, okay, you might do something crazy like that, right? Push someone out of the way and you get in the car, you're in front of the car and you get hit, sure. But if you've done any kind of like marriage counseling or anything, I know when we did premarital, one of the big things that we talked about is like, yes, you are, you are called to lay down your life, to do these grand things. But if you're not willing to say, hey, you get the remote tonight, I don't. Like, you get to choose what we're going to watch on Netflix or Hulu tonight, or, you know what, you get to choose where we're going to eat. Like, if we don't defer in just these small, mundane ways, there ain't no way you're going to actually take a bullet for someone or whatever. And the same is true here. You know, Jesus, again, he's going to call us to leave everything behind and to follow him, to, to do something absolutely radical, insane, and we're tempted to think, well, yes, I would do that, right? Jesus, I, I, you know, maybe, maybe you've said some prayer. Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to give you everything and follow you. But then we're tempted on Tuesday night when we're tired, right? A lot like Peter is tired here. And say, Jesus, I know you've commanded me to, you know, to, to, to be able to kill sin, right? To, to not lust in this way, to, to, not be, uh, to not be envious in this way, to not lie, right? To not go to class and be like, you know, I'm just going to cheat off of this person because I didn't do my work. It's easy to say, well, I'm tired, and so, Jesus, I'm not going to obey you in this small way. But I will follow you, I promise, I promise. But in this small way, not so much. Or maybe to say, you know what, Jesus, it, it, it kind of seems illogical what you're telling me to do right now which is how Peter is thinking, right? Like, Jesus, this is, this, is the, this is a bad idea. This is not how it works. And be like, you know what, Jesus, I know you've commanded me to share the gospel with, you know, my doormate or, or the person across the street or the person that works with me, but, I mean, they don't even want to talk to me, right? There, there's no way. This, Jesus, this is illogical. Or, you know what, this is inconvenient for me. Or, you know what, this is a bad strategy. We should do it at a different time, Jesus. Friends, it's easy when we see the commands in Scripture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And as we, as believers, as we have the Spirit indwelling in us, showing, giving us opportunities to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves, to serve others, to be able to bring the gospel to those around us, you're one. And to be like, Jesus, I'll follow you for anything. But I, I don't know if I want to follow you in this way right now. Friends, we as a people must be faithful in the big and in the small. 
in the large and in the mundane. And here we get a, a, a glimpse that, that Peter, he said, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I will do this. We get a glimpse into how we can be faithful, even in the small things. How does he address Jesus? He says, Master. Master. You know, because the, the, the proclamation of the Christian faith is what? Jesus is Lord. It's that he's the master. It's that he is the king. And so, friends, when we are followers of Jesus, we view that Jesus is the king of all of life, that there's nothing that Jesus doesn't say, that is mine. And so, friends, as we b- believe and live in light of the fact that Jesus is the king, then, friends, that empowers us by the Spirit to be able to live obediently in the mundane of just taking the gospel to your neighbor, of being faithful even when you're tired, even when it might not seem like it makes sense according to our culture, but even in the large things as well. But Peter here, he actually does let down the nets. What happens when he puts the nets out? Even though he does it, it doesn't make sense, even though he might be reluctant about it. When he does it, what happens? Verse 6 And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. They caught a ton of fish, and their nets were breaking. They catch so many fish that the nets start to break. And then what does Peter do? Remember, there were two boats, right? So he calls over to the other boat. He says, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats. So they began to sink. So it's not just that they caught some fish. It's that the nets started breaking. It's not just that the nets started breaking. It's that they filled one boat, and not just one boat, but the second boat, and that they fill up so much that they start to weigh down, and water starts coming into these boats. I mean, it's an absolute miracle, right? I mean, Peter didn't catch anything, and now he has caught more fish than he will ever catch in his entire life. So why does Jesus do this? He's just been preaching the gospel, And now he is showing the gospel and showing his power to Peter. He's showing really what we saw in Ephesians chapter 3, if you were with us uh, last week. That at the end of the passage, that our God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now, what that means is that as much as you could ever ask or imagine, that Jesus has a much bigger imagination than you. That he can ask for way more than you can. Now, in our culture, it's easy to say, well, you can take a passage like this and think, well, that just means that if I do want those AirPod Pro 2s, I'm going to name it and claim it. That's going to be mine, right? <laughs> or, you know, uh, you know I, need, I need that new job. I, I need to get this grade. I, I need to get this guy or this girl. I need whatever it might be. But friends, what Jesus is showing in this it, it is not about that, but rather who the king actually is. Because why did the fish come there? It's because the king told them to come there. It's because Jesus said, I want you to not jump in those nets all night. And then when I tell you to, I want you to jump in the nets. I want you to jump in the boats. I want you to fill the boats up until they almost sink the boats. And the fish do it, just like that. Because when the king sends orders, friends, all of creation obeys him. Because our king, he is bringing his kingdom to bear. We've been able to experience this, that he has been able to do things more than we could ask or imagine for these past 10 years. Jeff was able to be able to, to, to mention some of it, that we have been able as a church to be able to send out two different church planting teams, over nine, or nine people rather, to be able to go out on mission planting churches in Williamsburg and in Colorado Springs. 
as well. We've been able to, over these past 10 years, to send out seven uh, missionaries that have gone on the field full-time, meaning at least one year, if not others, many years past that. Friends, that's nuts. That's ridiculous that we, just normal people, can do something like that. It's because the king said it would happen. That's why it happened. Now, friends, that what's one of the most important metrics you can look at as a church? It's how many baptisms do you have? How many new lives do you have in Christ? Friends, over these 10 years, we have seen 50 baptisms. What an amazing thing. Because in baptism, what is it really signaling? What is it really showing us? It's that those who were dead in their sin, who were lost without hope, who could do nothing to save themselves, that Jesus did this miraculous work to bring them to life. We have seen that 50 times over these 10 years. How good is our God that he could do something like that? But friends, he's not done. He's not done with his work. Friends, Jesus is still advancing his gospel. Why not you to be part of that too? Why not you that you would join in, that perhaps you are not in Christ? Today, perhaps you are dead in your sin, that perhaps you would come to follow the King, Jesus. Or perhaps why not you to go out on the mission field, to be part of a future church plant? Why not you? Jesus wants to do more than we could ask or imagine. And some days it will look like the night before with Peter. Someday we will look around and we'll say, nothing is happening. Jesus, where are you? But friends, he is right there. And when the king says that it will happen, it will happen. Our king is still on the throne. Friends, he can do more than we can ask or imagine. So let's be a people who are centered on that gospel and ask expectantly for Jesus to forward his mission. When Peter experienced this, I mean, he's blown away, right? Like the... the Again, the boats are almost sinking. This is by far, I mean, this, I mean, come on, this is ridiculous, right? You'd expect, I mean, he's a fisherman. Again, I don't know anything about fishing, but I don't know. Maybe he catches a, a hundred fish or something, you know, even crazy. No, he, there's so many, you can't even count them. It's filling up these two boats. So if you were Peter, how would you respond? I mean, you'd probably be like, Jesus, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Or like, Jesus, you have to join our team, man. You got to go fishing with us every day. This is great. Or, like Jesus, as soon as we get back, man, we're selling all these fish. You get half of it, all right? We're going to give you half of it. This is awesome. We're getting so much money, right? And that's not at all what Peter says. Check it out. How does Peter respond? But when Simon Peter saw it, saw all the fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. We'll see in just a second that he's terrified. He's afraid at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. Those were his partners. Those are the guys in the other boat with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. So how did Peter respond? He says, Jesus, you got to leave. You got to get out of here, man. Depart from me. Because I'm a sinful man. What a weird response, right? I mean, you would, again, you would think that he's just blown away by the fish. But, you know, Peter sees beyond the fish. Sees beyond the miracle. And sees the king behind it. He marvels at Jesus and he sees how great, how glorious Jesus is. 
and that Peter ain't anything like him. That our God is big, and Peter says, I am small. Much like we saw in Isaiah that woe is me. I am broken. I am undone. I'm embarrassed. I am totally ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. Friends, this is how Peter responds because he marvels at Jesus. And this is the Spirit doing his work, drawing Peter, showing him the king behind the miracle. Friends, this is our response as well. As we begin to see who Jesus is, as we marvel at him for all that he is, looking at the good work that he did for us, that we realize first our sinfulness, that we have sinned against a good king. The king who is over the fish is also the king over me. And that I have not just messed up. I've not just missed the mark sometimes and that's okay. I can't just add something to my life. I can't just add Jesus here or there and then he'll save me. No, Jesus is totally other than and I desperately need him. But how did Jesus respond? When he's terrified, when he is broken, when he says, I am a sinful man, Jesus says, don't be afraid. In fact, he says, from now on, you will be catching men. Maybe you know the translation, you will be fishers of men. In other passages, in Mark and and Matthew, where the same story happens, he says, come follow me. Jesus doesn't respond when Peter rightfully says, you need to leave. Please depart from me, O Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And Jesus doesn't say, yeah, you're right. You should get out. I should get, in fact, why don't you jump out of the boat? Why don't you get out of here? No, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I want you to come follow me. Jesus shows him the wonderful grace of his good news. And he points us to what Jesus' ultimate mission was and what his ultimately his good news is. That even though we are these unclean people, even though we are these sinners that are not even uh, uh, worthy to be around the king, that Jesus came and lived the perfect sinless life that we don't, that we can't. And then he died the death on the cross that you and I deserve, all to pay our sin debt, an infinite sin debt that we can't pay back to God the Father in full. And we know he did it. We know that his work was good. It was accepted because he walked out of the grave. Jesus, three days later, was resurrected. And he proved that anyone who repents and believes the gospel, anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus, turns and forsakes everything and follows Jesus, that they would be given life, they'd be given salvation, that they would never have to beg Jesus to depart from them because Jesus pursued after them. That's the good news of the gospel. Friends, this is the gospel we've been preaching for 10 years. And that by God's grace, we will continue to preach for the next 10 years and beyond that Jesus is everything. That we as a people must be centered on this gospel. But it's not just this good news that anyone who repents and believes will be saved. But it's what we saw two weeks ago that saved people are sent people. That we, just like Peter, are called by Jesus to not be afraid, but from now on to follow him, to be catching men, to be fishers of men and women. And Peter's response in verse 11 is, when they had brought their boats to the land, 
They didn't go pray about it. They didn't go think about it. They didn't go sell everything and then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll come to you, Jesus, when it's convenient. No, the idea is that they immediately left everything and followed Jesus. Friends, religion just says if we just add Jesus here and there, if we just try to be a good person, if we just go to church, if we just join a community group, if we just read the Bible enough, if we just pray enough, if we just share the gospel, if we just do this and add that, then perhaps Jesus will accept us and forgive us. But religion is the reverse of the gospel. Friends, the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus calls us to leave everything and to follow him. This is definitional to what it means to be a Christian. That we are followers of Jesus, students of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. That's why Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 is that he is telling us, his disciples, to go and make disciples, to make followers of Jesus. That we would do that so well that they could make followers of Jesus. Friends, that's why we're sitting here today. It's because people like Peter took that seriously. He made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. The reasons why Catalyst is still here is because the Spirit of God has empowered us. The King has said Catalyst would still be here. And disciples made disciples who made disciples. That's why we're still sitting here. Friends, we are on mission by Jesus. We have been sent by the King to go forth, to bring His kingdom to bear. And how we do that is we leave everything behind and we follow Jesus. Now for some of you, this quite literally means for you to do exactly what Peter does. To literally leave the biggest catch you've ever had, to leave your livelihood, something that was perhaps passed down by your dad or your granddad, here these boats, and just say, I'm leaving everything, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go on the mission field. I'm going to go out and I'm going to help plant this church. Maybe I will plant a church. For some of you in this room, it means that. For everyone who is a believer, what it absolutely means is no longer holding on to what you have, but viewing it rightly, that it is the king's. That it's not your car. It's not your house. It's not your job. It's not your major. It's not your life or whatever you have. It is Jesus's. And it is his to be able to advance his kingdom. Friends, that we leave everything and we follow Jesus. That we view our city as our mission field. As we saw two weeks ago, 135,000 at least in our city that do not know Jesus. Friends, we can ask and beg Jesus to do more than we can ask or imagine. But that mission field is great. We need to be on mission for them. When we, college students, when we look at the campus, somewhere between 4,000 to 4,500 that do not know Christ, that are dead in their sins, that are still enslaved to their sins, Friends, we need to be on mission with the King. That we need to ask, who is my one? Who is it that Jesus has put in my life to be on mission for? And college students, and those that love college students, which is all of cattle, so really I'm talking to everybody. We need to view college students rightly. College students are one of the world's greatest mission fields and mission forces for the gospel. Again, just a stone throw away, there is 4,000 to 4,500 that are dead in their sin. What a vast mission field. Friends, you have been put there right now to be on mission for your doormate, for the person in your suite, for the person in your class. You did not come to see in you to study this thing or that thing. You can go and study that anywhere you want. 
You are here right now because the king said, I want you there right now to go after that person, to be a fisher of men. Friends, what a mission field, but what a mission force. Because college students, I know you're busy. Believe me, I do. But you are more easily mobilized now than any point in your life. Because now, at least in theory, you have a car or could have a car sometime soon, right? And as well, you don't have certain things weighing you down that perhaps later in life you might. Friends, you can, just as we have sent out seven missionaries, sent out nine people to help plant a church, now is the time. Now is the time to be on mission for your campus. Perhaps even joining us on mission as well. But then as well, friends, that we would not allow our city to just, that we would be okay with our city dying in their sin, but that we would be on mission for them. Friends, that we would go out and catch men. Friends, Jesus has been doing amazing work for 10 years through Catalyst. And he's not done. Jesus is not done with us. There's about 100 people here today. Why not us? Why can't we be on mission? Because the king has said, we are sent. And his spirit resides in us and has empowered us to go. So friend, let's continue to be on mission. Let's be a people that don't just simply add Jesus to our lives and buy into the lie of religion, but instead believe and live out the gospel, which says to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in your kindness that you don't turn us aside. Father, or Jesus, you, ra- you say, don't be afraid. I have pursued after you. So come follow me. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross in my place and for so many in this room. Help us to continue to look to the areas that we are, are trying to hold on to, that we are not letting go of, Father, that we would instead leave everything behind, that we would follow Jesus. Help us to continue to do that. We ask as well, Father, that you would do more than we can ask or imagine, that you wouldn't be done with Catalyst, that we would be able to love and, 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 and support and disciple one another and be on mission for each other, that we could see these horrible stats in our city and on the campus. We could see them change for the sake of the gospel. But as well, there are people here right now that are far from Jesus, that are dead in their sins. As they have marveled at Jesus, would you open their eyes through your spirit, draw them, lead them to repentance and belief today. In Jesus' name, amen.